Well, today we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, and if it feels like we've been doing the same thing every week, it's because the author of Hebrews is building the case for what he's going to say today. So whenever we started this in October, October, September or October, we talked about Jesus is better than angels. We talked about how Jesus is better than Moses. We talked about Jesus is better than the law. We spent all Advent talking about how Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the tabernacle. Last week, there's this whole priestly sacrifice system, and Jesus is better than that. So Hebrews 10 kind of peaks, and it's, what does that mean? What is the implication of Jesus is better than all of these things. This is the point that we've been rising to. So he starts, since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. The sacrifices will never make anybody perfect. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So have you ever done something like you wash the window of your front storm door? And you're like, yes, I cleaned it. And you sit down the Windex and your paper towels and you walk away. And then somebody comes up and they're like, oh, I need to clean that storm door. And they pick up the Windex and they and they wash it all off. And you come back in and you're like, what? I just washed that. And they're like, oh, no, it needed to be washed. And all you get is a reminder as they're cleaning that storm door. We don't have a storm. This is a safe example for me to use. We don't have a storm. They clean it and all they're doing is reminding you of how you didn't get it all done. You missed a spot, right? Maybe it happens with the vacuum. You clean the entryway of the church. You sit the vacuum cleaner up and somebody comes in. And then somebody else comes in, they're like, oh, good, the vacuum cleaner. And they vacuum the front of the church. And you're like, I just did that. And what do they do? Well, you missed a spot. It's a reminder. They're just doing it again to remind you that it wasn't done all the way 100%. So what he's saying here is the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement happened and the priest would sacrifice this and sacrifice that and bring in the bull, which was the biggest sacrifice for the worst sins that that guy could possibly. And he does all of that. And atonement means to cover over. He covers over all the sins of the people and it's all done. And the scapegoat is set out into the wilderness and this lamb and ah, we're done. They blow the shofar and you hear your sins are covered up until next year when we're going to do this whole thing over again because you're going to sin again and you're going to pile on sin 
And we do this every year. And we've done it every year since we came out of Egypt. And we're going to do it every year because this is what we do. And all of a sudden, instead of being a relief of, oh, my sins are covered, it was a reminder. Dang, dude, you sinned a lot this year. We had to kill a bull. We had to kill two sheep. We had to kill a dove for the poor guy. We had to kill these two goats. These sacrifices, in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It's just like something nasty. Something nasty goes on. And there it is. And what do you do? You can cover it over. This is the worst with Cheerios, right? You see the Cheerio on the floor. This happened a lot when we had little kids. And as soon as I would see a Cheerio, I would grab it. Because I knew that one Cheerio plus one foot would become thousands and thousands of crumbs (laughs) all over Covering it over just covers it over. It doesn't make it go away. It's still there. Waiting to get stepped on and turned into a thousand little pieces. So the Day of Atonement, as awesome as the Day of Atonement was, all it did was cover over sin. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, okay, now we're going to talk about what Jesus did was different than the Day of Atonement. When Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I've come to do Your will, O God, as it's written of Me in the scroll. What's really funny is we don't have any recordings of Jesus saying that. So all of a sudden we have the writer of Hebrews saying that Jesus came and said this. But none of the Gospels show him saying that. So what's going on? The person that actually said that was King David. Hundreds of years before Jesus. And he was prophesying about what the Messiah would do and what the Messiah would say. And then when we look at that, Okay, so King David said it. He said the Messiah is going to say this. We look at what he said. And doesn't that just fit exactly with the life of Jesus? So now all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, I could read the Gospels and find out about Jesus from the Psalms. I could read the Psalms and find out things that Jesus said that were written in the Psalms that King David prophesied that Jesus would say. Doesn't that make you want to read the Psalms? I want to hear. I want to know more things that Jesus said that aren't written in the Gospels. So the high priest's job was do all these sacrifices for all these people who have been sinning, and you have to do that work. And if all these people didn't sin, the Messiah would come back, and you wouldn't have to do all of this. <sighs> Huff, puff, high priest work. For all those people you don't even know who've been sinning. 
I'm not saying that was all of their attitude, but that had to be in there somewhere because it was for them. Jesus comes along and He says, I have come to do Your will, O God. I am here. He adds, I have come to do Your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. He does away with the first law in order to establish the new law. Verse 10, by that we, by that His will, what He wanted, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus does not come back every year and sacrifice Himself over and over and over again. Storm door got cleaned with the Windex and it got wiped off and the Windex and the paper towels are put away. He did it. He did a good enough job. He does not have to do it again. Once and for all. Every priest, this is verse 11, every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. He's talking about when he wrote this, the temple was still standing. And he's talking about the high priest in the temple is making daily sacrifices for sins. Why? Because those are not taking away sins. They're just covering up that Cheerio with the napkin, waiting for it to get stepped on. They're just making it out of sight. God's not bringing his punishment for it because it's getting covered over. But that punishment is still going to come at some point. Gosh, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. Remember, there's no chair in the temple. There's no chair in the tabernacle because a priest's work would never be done, ever. I remember when I worked at Jerry's. Jerry's turned into Denny's. And I was working one night. I was a waiter. And... I realized that they were open 24 hours. And I realized that the place would never close in order for me to go home. Like I could theoretically just work at Jerry's all the way until Christmas. And it was summer. It was my summer job. (laughs) Imagine that feeling. It was like three o'clock in the morning. I was working a double shift. It was miserable. And I noticed, oh my gosh, we're open forever until Christmas. The high priest's job, there's no chair. There's no resting. There's no sitting down. There's no finished. He will continually be offering these sacrifices. But Jesus, what did he do when he took his one sacrifice in? He sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. One offering sanctified for all time everybody who is being sanctified. All right, so we don't ever use this word sanctified, right? We do it all the time. We sanctify all kinds of different things. When you put dishes away in the cabinet, 
You probably put the plates over here and you probably put the cups over here. You don't stack the plates and the cups on top of each other. Guess what you're doing? You are sanctifying the dishes. You are separating the plates over here and the cups over here. You're sanctifying your silverware. Unless you're some kind of monster, you don't just throw all the silverware into one thing, right? You've got your spoons over here, your knives over here, and your forks over here. That is the sanctification of your silverware. <laughs> That's what sanctification means, to separate into separate things. So by one single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time all of those who are being sorted out. All of those that are being sorted. So I have a question. So Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. When did he die on the cross? Anybody? Like in the, maybe the 30s AD, right? What year it was? Now, I know some of y'all are old. How many of you were here, there for that? Okay, so none of, nobody, okay, nobody's that old. So wait, so how many sins had you committed before he died on the cross? None, right? So here's Jesus dying on the cross once and for all, for all of our sins before we had ever done any of them. Before we had ever committed a single thing. He died and rose again. So at the moment in your life where you believe it, all of a sudden there's this big cosmic time travel, whatever thing that happens. And the sins that you will commit for your whole life are taken away and put on him back in 30 AD and paid for and gone. And they're not covered over, you guys. The Cheerio is picked up and thrown in the trash, never to be seen again. The nasty thing is cleaned up and gone. Your sins... By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Your sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit also bears witness to this. For after saying, this is my covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws in their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. The Holy Spirit said that? Like we just studied the whole book of Acts and we never heard the Holy Spirit say that. That's from Jeremiah. Jeremiah, speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit, prophesied about a day that would come when the law will be on our hearts and in our minds. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So your sin doesn't count. 
We have the promise that our sin doesn't count from all of these prophecies. We also have a promise and assurance that our sin doesn't count because when Jesus died on the cross, the giant thick fabric veil in the temple that was one of the most important parts of the Day of Atonement ripped in half and is just was just ruined, absolutely ruined. Supernaturally, it happens. So now the thing that's separating people from God, which is this all of these sacrifices that need to be made, and this giant cloth gets trashed, just destroyed. Because it's not needed anymore. It is not necessary. It is completely, don't need it, get rid of it. I got a new winter coat. We're cleaning out our closet. Cindy pulls out my old winter coat that I didn't really like anyway. Do I need it? No. Get it out of here. The old law, completely unnecessary, no longer needed. Gone. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his own flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, this is like the big moment, since Everything we've talked about from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, all the way up to Hebrews chapter 10. Let us, 10.22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. It's so wild. There's one part of this, and Jesus was accused of it, and Paul was accused of it, that if you just get the first half, it's your sins don't count against you. God is so completely welcoming you into his presence. He, God desires to be with you more than a grandma wants to be with their grandkid. We were talking about this this week. That's love, right? That is intense. God wants to be with you so much that he is no longer counting sins against you at all. I used to play basketball and there's a time limit at the, the CFC gym and they had the scoreboard and they would keep score. And at the end of the game, somebody would win and the score would show and there would be winners. And then it was time for the scorekeeping apparatus to be put away and they would unplug it and they would roll it into this room and lock it all up. And guess what people did? They kept playing basketball. Nothing counted and they would shoot and they would make shots and they would block each other. Oh my gosh. Thanks Siri. People would shoot and take shots and play basketball and nothing counted. And it almost became more fun because you weren't competing anymore. That's the state that we are in now. So if you hear just the first half of that, you might think, well, then I'm just going to sin all I want. 
if it doesn't count. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Nothing counts against me at all. Nothing bad is going to happen to me. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And that's what they accused Paul of saying. It's not that you're now free. Well, you are free to do whatever you want to do. But the Holy Spirit has also come into your mind. And the whatever you want to do becomes holy things. I want to do holy things. I can do whatever I want to do. I can steal as many hubcaps as I want. But what I want to do with the Holy Spirit in my mind is the opposite. Far, far from stealing hubcaps, right? I want to do good things now. I want to serve the Lord with my whole heart. And it's easier for me to serve the, whole, the Lord with my whole heart because I'm not afraid of, oh my gosh, what if it's a sin to do this or that? What if it's a sin to give money? Uh, you know, people want to donate money. I want to donate money to this thing and I want it to go to a good cause. Oh, but what if that person is really this and they spend my money on that and now I've sinned because I've helped these people and given money to that and they and this and that. I don't have to be afraid of that. If the Holy Spirit's leading me to do it, I can do it. There's a poor guy on the street and I want to give him a bag of granola and a pair of socks. But what if he sells the socks and buys drugs? And what if he takes the granola and throws it at somebody and hits him in the eye? I know that's ridiculous. I don't have to be afraid of participating in his sin. I need, to, I need to do what the Holy Spirit is guiding me to do. It makes it a whole lot more complicated than a law, right? Rule followers and legalists love a law because then all you got to do is give me a check mark and a graph and I got to look down here and I go down here and now I do that. And I don't have to give the Lord my heart. I can just follow rules. But you're free from that by one single sacrifice. So let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. This is verse 23. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How can I stir up my friends to do good deeds? How can we do good? What good stuff can we do together? I am no longer worrying about whether or not you're following the law. I'm no longer worrying about, I don't know about you. You did this. You did that. You liked this thing on Facebook. You said this comment. I'm not your judge. My job now is to spur, to cheer on, do good deeds. Let's do it. This one's kind of fun. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. A whole bunch of people are throwing this out during COVID. Don't give up meeting together. It is a totally different context, you guys. It was a totally different thing, but it is what it is. Don't give up meeting together thinking that you don't have to. It doesn't mean don't quit going to church on Sunday. It means don't quit being part of a group of people. And it's 2023. Can we be a part of a group of people over the phone? 
Can we be a group, part of a group of people by letters? Sure, we can. There's all kinds of ways we can be together. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Put courage into one another. Put courage in. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Okay, so now, happy feelings are over. We're going to get into the reality of it. Salvation is only for those that follow Jesus. Salvation isn't for everybody, no matter what, all the time, everywhere. Jesus said numerous times, he said, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and life. Nobody gets to the Father except by me. A lot of people read that as Jesus saying, oh, he, he's just arrogant, and that's prideful of God. And how can he say he's the only way? And I, I heard a guy say this, and it, it really spoke to me. Everybody is trying to get satisfied. Everybody is trying to get to the thing that makes them happy. They might be doing it with money. They might be doing it with cars, whatever, right? Jesus is saying, all that stuff's going to fail you, but I am here for you. I'm the only way that's really going to work. It's Jesus. If we go on sinning deliberately, if we reject Jesus... There's no longer a sacrifice for sins. There's not going to be a second chance. Jesus is it. A fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume all adversaries. That covering up of sin. If we don't recognize that Jesus took away our sin, then we've got this big heap of judgment and sin that we are building up for ourselves to be judged on judgment day. It's either on Jesus or it's on us. But it exists. Jesus took it away. If you believe that he took it away, he really did. But if you don't, you are carrying it. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses died without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. You guys, nowadays our courts, we have a jury of 12 people. You can bring all of these witnesses. Remember the book of Numbers? How many people got killed for this or that? It only took two witnesses. If two witnesses said that you did it, you were guilty. And those two witnesses were the people that threw the first of the stones to kill you. If that law that was never intended to be fully followed, it was so hard and so so holy how much worse the punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace so it's easy to point to people that don't believe and say they are going to get the judgment that's coming to them but we also have to be careful that we don't live a life that says I believe in Jesus, and that's why I'm a good person, so he'll let me into heaven. Now I'm saying that I'm equal to Jesus, or that Jesus owes me something, right? 
Whatever legalism we have. I don't know about that guy. He didn't wear a tie to church. What, what in the world, right? Is that where my holiness is in my necktie? Then give me 30 neckties <laughs> like Peter. Don't just wash my feet. Wash me all of me. Peter is saying, Jesus, if this is what makes me holy, let me tell you how to do it better. And Jesus says, uh, if you're going to tell me how to do things better, you have no part in me. Wow. We know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And also, Old Testament, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Do you see how he says that? You can either fall into his hands or you can be welcomed. If we believe him and we trust him, we're being welcomed into him. If we don't, we're going to fall into him. We're going to be caught. Gosh. And then he gives this encouragement. This is the history of the people that heard this. Listen, recall the former days when you guys first got saved. Remember how you endured hard struggle with sufferings. You were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Sometimes you were partners and friends with those that were treated that way. People were really persecuted bad. Uh, We can complain about persecution in America. We have no idea. I think think the first century church might be looking at us from heaven being like, oh man, (laughs) God bless you guys that you think this is persecution. You want to see my lion bite, right? It's still hard. It's still a struggle. But guys, we can be faithful. These folks, they were publicly exposed. You had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had better possession and a lasting one. They had their homes taken away. They were run out of their jobs Um, Even in current day, um, I have a friend of a friend who his sons are rabbis, Jewish rabbis, and their dad became a Christian. And so the sons held a funeral for their dad. He no longer existed to them. It was as if he died and they had a funeral and they grieved and they mourned and they had the reception line and the whole bit just because the dad became a Christian. Wow. One of them has since come around and wants the grandpa involved in his kids' lives. So he's, but he's still, there's still tension there. They lost so many things. But don't throw away your confidence. Your confidence and your steadfastness. Remember how Hebrews, I said, Hebrews is going to be over and over. Stay strong. Stay faithful. Be confident. Persevere. Keep at it. Here it is. In a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. Have endurance for just a little while longer. My righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. If you ever wonder, how can I persevere? It says right here, one of the things that makes God the happiest is your perseverance and your keeping at it and staying faithful. 
and pushing on and growing in him. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who have faith to preserve our souls. You might think, gosh, this is hard. This hard thing is happening. This thing is happening that I'm worried about. Or this is going to happen someday and I don't know how I'll bear up. Jesus is able. It says in Jude, God is able to keep you from falling away. It's actually easier, as hard as it sounds to to struggle and to stay true and to follow Jesus, it is easier to keep your faith and to seek after him because you have to be deliberate to get away from him. That doesn't sound like it makes any sense, does it? It seems like it's easier to sin. It's easier to steal that hubcap, right? You've been given a new spirit. You've been given a new mind. You've been remade. And that remade self that you are wants to draw near to God. Wow. So, I'm going to reverse engineer two more verses and then we'll be done. Go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. Since the law is but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form, it can never take away the sins. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered. In these sacrifices, there is a... Oh, no, here it is. Uh, Verse 2. They would not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. He says right here, if there was a sacrifice that came and all of your sins were taken away forever, you would not even have consciousness of sin. And that has happened. That's where we are. So we don't ever have to call ourselves a sinner. We don't ever have to say, oh, I am just so, oh gosh, I am terrible. You're telling God he's wrong when you say that about yourself. Because God says that you are the righteousness of God. God took him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him you might be the righteousness of God. By one sacrifice, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Hebrews 10, 14. You have been perfected. So when I say, oh man, I just fall short in so many ways. You know what? That might be true. I do not live a perfect life. But I have been perfected. He has made me perfect by one sacrifice, and he doesn't have to do it again because he did a good enough job on the first try. Now, am I perfect in executing my perfection? Heck no. (laughs) Right? But I am perfect because he has made me perfect. When he looks at me, he is like, man, Dan, I love what I have made you into. And he says that to you too. All right, let's pray. Lord, Thank you so much that we could not do any of this ourselves. Thank you so much that when we were hopeless, hopeless in our sin, you came and died on the cross for us and rose from the dead. And you didn't just cover over our sin, but you cleaned up our sin and took it all away forever. Thank you so much, Lord. We 
We just don't even know what to say in thanksgiving to such a great work you've done. We love you. Amen.